Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome to On The Bench. I'm your host, Brendan Sinone, and this is an instant reaction podcast to FSU's commitment of four-star offensive tackle Lucas Simmons. Joining me today, Chris Nee, Zach Blostein. Fellas, it's, it's always uh, welcoming, encouraging news when you get a blue-chip prospect in the trenches. Yeah, Florida State's pulling in an offensive tackle who's a legit offensive tackle, a legit left tackle, 6'7", 300-pound kid. It's a big-time get. You sure wow. he's not a guard, Chris? Yeah, this is a big deal. I am positive he is not a guard. He is the most prototypical left tackle FSU has landed in a mighty long time. Wow. Chris isn't even sticking him at tackle, Zach. He's sticking him at left tackle. That's a- Has this ever been done before? No. Yeah, yeah. No. Not since the days of Roger Johnson, maybe, though. Well, that's not OTB. Uh, like, on the bench didn't exist back then. Dude, Roger Johnson. But I did, Zach. Was 2014 recruiting cycle? I can't remember what class Rod was. Sounds right from a standpoint of when he went pro and whatnot, but I don't remember specifically which cycle he was. But this podcast is about Lucas Simmons, so let's just, let's keep okay. it on task. I'm just saying it's it's been a while. So it is reason yeah. to celebrate, though, because Florida State has obviously made offensive line a top priority under Mike Norvell and Alex Atkins. You know, there's areas that we've critiqued even on the most recent podcast of the recruiting board uh, and position development. But offensive line is one that you could say, you could point to and say, hey, it's it's moving in an upward direction. And adding someone like Lucas Simmons is a big deal. Chris, why is he a prototypical left tackle? Uh, and why is this such a big deal for FSU? Six foot seven, 300 pound, great frame to add on to. Very flexible kid, very strong kid. Likes physical contact, which is always important at that position. Uh, very athletic in the lower half, very long arm, prototypical long arms. I don't know exactly what the wingspan sits at, but I know it's one that's appealing and impressive. He's sort of the kid that I guess it was mega camp last summer when he worked with uh, Alex Atkins at that event that FSU very much circled as their guy who could be the left tackle type take in this class for them this year. And it's for all the right reasons. He 100% fits what that position demands which is quick feet, the ability to be very long, very wide, cover a ton of space and do it really effectively. And he does it at an extremely high level. And he's a kid whose ceiling is extremely high. I think he's ranked right around 100 on the composite. 109, in fact, is what he is. I think he can far exceed that long term. You know, I understand where he's ranked now because of who and what he is right now, which is still to some degree a little bit of a developmental offensive tackle, which almost all of them are if they're not named Caden Proctor. But I think his ceiling is extremely, extremely high. There's a reason Tennessee, USC, Florida were heavy contenders for this kid and numerous others wanted him who did not get official visits. So Lucas Simmons is ranked 109th nationally, as Chris said, on the 24-7 sports composite. 24-7 sports has him as a 143rd overall prospect with a overall grade of 92. Uh, either way you cut it, like that's a, an NFL draft projection that we have for him. Andrew Ivins. 
Uh, our Southeast recruiting analyst says, when you look at a young left tackle prospect, given size, reach, uh, ability to bend, this is what you're looking for. 82-inch wingspan, uh, to clarify Chris's earlier point. So someone that has a lot of the, the attributes that you're looking for at that position. From Sweden initially, uh, but he's currently playing at Clearwater Academy International. Uh, Chris referenced last year's Mega Camp. That was a really cool event because it was the first time coaches, not just the Florida State coaches, but coaches from across the country were getting their first uh, in-person evaluation of a player, uh, unless it was like Arizona State or something like that, uh, for, for a full calendar year. And I remember Lucas Simmons was in the early group. I believe he was in the very first one of the day of the four different groups. And the amount of coaches who started slowly kind of gravitating and matriculating over to his group and watching him, uh, there's probably about 100 coaches surrounding him by the end of that first session. And it was super cool because they're all walking away smiling because they're seeing this you know, six foot seven mammoth of a human being moving just supremely well with ease and it didn't take long from that to realize that, that that guy was a prospect. Zach, I'll throw this to you. Uh, can you give us some insight into the last year of of Lucas Simmons' recruitment and I guess what Florida State ended up doing to position themselves over the schools Chris mentioned earlier, like USC, Florida, Tennessee? Yeah, well, it just really came down to relationships. Um, I think the thing that stood out the most about me looking onto his recruitment was his bond with Alex Atkins. We know how um, successful Atkins has been at FSU as a recruiter um, and, and as a coach on the field. Um, but with Simmons, it, it was unique. Um, they only spoke on the phone. He said about every once, like every once every week or two. Um, so it's not, you know, usually if you have a top target, you're talking to them, you know, every day, every other day. Um, but Atkins was only getting on the phone with, with Lucas, you know, every week or two. So, that was by design. Um, Lucas isn't a huge fan of calling coaches all the time. Um, he wants to have, you know, the ability to be a teenager, to live his life. Um, and, and that's something that Lucas really respected of Atkins for, you know, letting him have that time to, to not be on the phone with coaches all the time. Um, and I think that just, had, you know, it, it made Lucas feel like Atkins understood him um, in, in that relationship, even though they only talked um you know, a couple times a month, um, it, it was still, I think, the strongest relationship he had out of any coaches involved in his recruitment um, at, out of all the aforementioned schools. Um, I think this really came down to FSU and Tennessee um, based on, uh, you know, the reporting of, of our network. Uh, I believe Lucas's dad played college football with t current Tennessee head coach Josh Heupel um, at Oklahoma, I believe. Um, so that was the tie there. And I think that had a large influence on on the Vols being very uh, interested in him and, and him being uh, you know interested back. So, I you know FSU obviously won out, and I think the thing you can point to as to uh, the re the reason why is is FSU offensive line coach Alex Atkins. Man, that was tough. Great to, job, Zach. To, <laughs> Nailed it. To add to Zach's point, beyond the relationship that FSU specifically Alex Atkins and Coop uh, Cooper Williams, the assistant offensive line coach, built with Lucas Simmons specifically. They did a very good job, I think, of making the family feel very comfortable on the official visit, which was of huge importance because he packed all those officials in together for that very reason. But they also did a phenomenal job with the staff at Clearwater Academy International. Uh, obviously, that staff Lucas has grown very close to because they are his family away from home while he's playing ball over here. 
And I think that FSU won over that group in a good way too. Not that I think that group influenced this decision, but when you make the whole village feel comfortable, it's probably much easier for the kid to feel comfortable. This is the second recruitment in a pretty short period of time in which FSU has gotten a marquee offensive lineman, Rod Kearney, a few weeks ago, and that Alex Atkins approached in a very, I would say not a very different way, but the approach for recruiting the two guys did have somewhat of a, of a different feel, which shows that Atkins has a really good idea of what buttons to push and knowing when to kind of pick up the recruitment, when to kind of lay low, uh, knows how to read people, understand people. And I think that's an, important. So the offensive line recruiting just continues to be extremely impressive. Those are two legitimate top 200 prospects that Florida State has commitments from. Fellas, what's next on the offensive line board? I know it sounds being greedy, but, you know, more. I want more. Well, real quick before we jump ahead, I think that's a very good point that you made about Atkins' ability. Some coaches are chameleons, and they'll do whatever it takes. I don't think Alex Atkins is that in the least. I think Alex Atkins is extremely consistent with pretty much everybody. He's also intelligent in the sense of understanding that some kids are a little bit more personality-wise open and want to talk and do a lot of stuff and those kind of things, and he's going to lean into that. But also he'll read the room when it's a kid that wants to have a little bit of space, isn't super needy, which I think is how we could describe Lucas Simmons. I think Lucas Simmons is a kid who kind of wants a slow and steady approach, and I think Alex Atkins was very good at that. But the reason Atkins gets success so consistently at recruiting his position at a high level is because he's real and he's consistent. If the messaging for a kid, say the messaging started with the mega camp last year, which it probably preceded that a little bit, but that was very much a jumping off point. But say, take that point. I think the messaging from 13 months ago from Alex Atkins to Lucas Simmons was exactly the same when he took his official visit to Florida State, you know, 12 and a half months later. And that's a big reason why we're at this point 13 months after that mega camp and he's committing to Florida State. Uh, some coaches got in. Alex Atkins, he has it. He, he's restructured that room in a magnificent way. He's convinced kids who need development to come here. He's convinced kids who have one year left to come here. He's convinced kids who are ready to go full board to come here. He's just done a good job of always understanding how to approach every single recruitment. But it's not just feeding them fluff and lies. It's a matter of understanding each individual situation and recruiting effectively to that while being honest, straightforward, and real with kids. And I think that's why the success has happened for him. And he works his backside off. The guy the guy works really, really hard at doing it. He gets his guys on campus. He gets them on campus a lot. He communicates very well with them. They're receptive to him. He understands how to communicate with each kid individually. It's not you know, one version of communication for all kids. It's, ten, it's tendered specifically to the individual that he's dealing with. So I, I just think that's a very good point. That's what makes great recruiters. And that's the reason that position is the most improved position at FSU in the Mike Norvell era. And it's taken a drastic step forward from a talent standpoint compared to what it once was when they arrived here. The issue is that as a whole, FSU hasn't done that. I think one, one other point before we get to what's next on – the offensive line board that I want to bring up is this was this is a good reflection off last recruiting cycle for Florida State and the offensive line. We've talked about this before, just sheer mass in terms of the amount of scholarship numbers that you're throwing to that position group. Ten players total, six of them were in the prep level. Uh, another four were, were transfers, uh, so guys who will probably be exhausting the eligibility. I think three out of four this season. So you have some room that's going to 
to open up. You took a lot of one-year guys in this class. But my larger point being is that FSU threw numbers at fixing the problem both short-term and long-term. Now this 2023 cycle, uh, a little bit more selective, if you will, where you can kind of do some cherry picking and let some of these long-term recruitments that Alex Atkins has been working on for year, two years, uh, maybe even a little bit longer since he first arrived to Florida State, can now kind of materialize and you can afford to be a little choosy, a little picky with the caliber of recruit you're taking, assuming you could land them. And Alex Atkins has done a phenomenal job of that. With that in mind, Zach, who else is left for FSU on the offensive line board? Or who do we think FSU is going to prioritize? I'm assuming there's probably one or two more spots that you you could uh, leave open to kind of continue to beef up the the trenches long-term. Yeah, um, they took a huge offensive line class between the high school and portal ranks last cycle. So like you said, I think there's only one to two more spots left. Ideally, they want to get some more interior guys like a DJ Chester, for instance, he can he can swing to tackle, um, but they've gotten him on they got him on campus twice in June, um, and he should be back for a game this season. He is a really talented prospect. We've watched him work out twice um, in front of Alex Atkins. Um, there's video of that on the, on the Nose Twenty Four Seven YouTube page. I really like him um, on the outside shot. You know, Kelton Smith. He might make a decision um, later this month, and if he does, I think that's probably to to, to go to Georgia. Um, but if he doesn't, and if he delays it a little bit, FSU will have another shot at getting him on campus in late July um, for their recruiting event on July 30th. Um, below them, a guy like Jatavius Shivers, a big, massive offensive tackle prospect, can, can swing the guard as well. Um, he just decommitted from Vanderbilt. He opened up his recruitment. He's a three-star prospect, was on campus for FSU's elite camp in early June. Uh, FSU's keeping him warm. He's kind of a second-tier uh, guy for them but you know let's say that you know Chester and Smith go different directions I could see FSU pivoting to him another guy to mention Caden Jones out of Louisiana area uh, big long athletic uh, tackle type he was also on campus for FSU's elite camp I like him a lot um, you know his, his recruitment's kind of taken off a little bit uh, in, in the summer and I think FSU wants to uh, stay in that one for, for as long as they can if they don't like I said, land those those higher tier targets like a Chester or Smith. A couple other guys to mention, Bubba Jeffries. I just wanted to say Bubba Jeffries, but he oh, is yeah. coming at the end of July. It's worth mentioning. He's been on campus several times. I think to some degree that has slowed down a good bit, but he is a guy that, you know, we've talked about Alex Atkins building a tier system for his recruiting. I think he's a good example of a lower tier guy that they want to keep warm and keep an eye on. Another one worth mentioning is Tommy Kinsler, former UF commit. Most people think he's going to end up with Miami. But there's always been kind of a mutual appreciation between him and FSU. He's had a good relationship with Alex Atkins. So he's somebody that I think could, down the road, potentially be a guy that if they need to circle back on, they could. To add on DJ Chester that Zach mentioned earlier, he took two officials in the summer. He's expected to take all five officials, so that kind of speaks to the timeline. It's going to definitely permeate into the season for him to some degree. And on Kelton Smith, the date that was mentioned in an interview with Jeff Sintel, Georgia reporter, for I forget which outlet it is. It's Dog something, but I forget Dog which Nation, one. Maybe. Dog Nation, yeah. Thank you. It's July 22nd is the date he threw out in that interview with Jeff Sintel. So, yeah, those are the names worth knowing on the offensive line. One other tidbit I'll share there is in some conversations I had in June during, like, big man camp. The 3-4 number is sort of what they've been flirting with for this class, but they don't love what they've seen in 24 so far. So there's a potential where they take an extra one or two this year if there's somebody they love this year. 
versus what's potentially available next year. But it is not a class that they've intended to be very large, especially in comparison to last year, the last cycle. Interesting. So the final topic that I want to bring up, we don't have to spend a ton of time on it, but I think it is appropriate for the Lucas Simmons recruitment and the commitment. If NIL isn't in a good place for Florida State, you're not winning this recruitment or you're not able to fend off a USC or Tennessee of the world. And that's just, you know what those schools are bringing from an NIL perspective. That's pretty well documented. Uh, I think it's noteworthy to say that that something's going right with FSU with with what it could potentially offer prospects uh, when they arrive in Tallahassee from an opportunity standpoint. So that's the last note I had. I don't know if anyone wants to add to that, but I, I think that was at least noteworthy to say that you beat out some teams with really, really strong uh, NIL backings to to get a high-end, high-caliber offensive tackle prospect. Yeah, relationships won out over everything, but NIL still mattered, mattered in this recruitment. I think that is worthwhile to mention. All right, so that'll wrap up this episode of On the Bench. This is, again, an instant reaction, rapid review, emergency podcast. I'm Brendan Sinone, joined by Chris Nee, Zach Blossing, fellas. Thanks for joining me. FSU, nicely done to land a big-time offensive line commit and Lucas Simmons. Sticking the landing. So that was the tie there. And I think that had a large influence on, on the Vols being very, uh, you know, very, sorry. Uh, the, did, you just, did you just Dane on us? Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting like spam texted. Um, all right. Three, two, one. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.